bullshit is everywhere. Oh, we don't have time for that. Uh, welcome back to Bullshit Filter the News. We're squeezing it in. Yes. Like Ray squeezed it into me in Vegas. We're squeezing this one in because uh, Ray is right up in up up, up inside Florence. Right, um, which could be... Which could be nice uh, if Florence was uh, Florence Henderson, but it's not. It's uh, Hurricane Florence, and uh, Ray yeah. is uh, not sure how long he will have uh, power. Right? How are you, buddy? I'm joking. How's, how's, how's Florence treating you? Um, pretty much no foreplay. Just started ramming, um, which is something I can appreciate. But but when you're the Rammy, it, it's not the same, and it's not as nearly as cool. No, um, I've got. Uh, I've got water, I've got canned stuff, I've got bread, I've got everything, and so far we've been lucky, but it has been pretty intense out there, and I'm I'm ready to hit for higher ground with my bottle of water and peanut butter, if need be. I had a look at a map last night, and it looked like it completely bypassed Virginia. It sort of went right up around Georgia and into West Virginia. Well, right, but but it's but it, now that it's looped around, we are getting. Uh, I think yesterday and today, late Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we've been getting our rain from from the outer rings. But it's been raining here for a week, so everything's already flooded. Um, mm. Power lines have been down, trees have been down, so it's already been a mess. This is just adding on to it. Mm. I'm sure President Trump's already been out there to uh, help out, roll his sleeves up, get stuck uh, in, express his did. concerns. He did throw me some uh, paper towels, of which I was well, very because yeah, I can absorb the entire storm with that, so I'll be fine. Well, this is bullshit filter eighteen uh, uh, for new listeners. Uh, apologise for us just rabbiting on. This is our weekly news show where we take some stories uh, from the weekly news and we, we we break them down and look for the bullshit. See if we can expose. Snip it out. We we yeah, we get in with our fingers deep deep into the shit and we peel it apart. And we get our noses right up in there. That's and uh, but 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 but, but. Uh, last week, uh, uh, someone I don't remember who it was a lady, obviously very smart lady, said, "Hey, it's been a year since you finished your your um, Syria series, uh. war, civil war in Syria series on the bullshit filter. Um, we did twenty two episodes, twenty two mm-hmm. hours of the background of the civil war in Syria." She said, "How about an update?" And I thought, fuck me, that's a good idea. Um, not not two separate things. I didn't say to her, hey, fuck no. me. And by it's the way, that's also a good idea. I just meant it's a good idea because um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, yeah. And we yeah. did say when we finished Syria, uh, the series, that we would do that and we right. did not do that. And by the way, can I just say, fuck yeah. me, that year has gone by quickly. Uh <laughs> So we finished the series in September 2017, and at the time, people were pretty much saying, oh, it's over. It's over. Yeah. ISIS is defeated. U.S. is pulling out, um, wiping their dick on the curtains and going home. <laughs> and uh, here we are a year later, and surprisingly, maybe, yeah. maybe not, it's still, it's still going on. In fact, according to a lot of sources, it's about to hit probably the worst humanitarian crisis of the entire seven-year war. Yeah, there's, um, there's a, 
I'm sorry, I was gonna, I was just gonna say yeah. So between when we quit and now, even though through us it seems like that year has gone by pretty quickly, I can only imagine what life was like for them and how many more tens of thousands of people have died in the last strong old uh, province that's holding out against the Syrian government, Idlib, southwest of Aleppo, in the northwestern corner of Syria, is about to be hit. And who knows what's going to happen once that province is going to be taken by the Syrians and by the Russians. Is the war technically over just because you've killed all of your enemies? I mean, who knows what the next phase is going to be? Well, let's not get too too far ahead of yeah. ourselves. So I want, to, I want to go back and I want to do the timeline, the, the highlights okay. of what's happened in the last year. So um, we finished in September. Right. Trump was saying, that's it. We're done. We're outies, outie 4,000, he said. Right. Um, bombed them a couple of times before that, but then said, right, that's it, we're, we're out. Um, well, on the 6th of December 2017, the Russian government declared Syria to have been completely liberated from ISIL. Ah. A bit like when George W. Bush declared victory in Iraq. Uh, Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. A couple of weeks into yeah. the war. Uh, turns out, might have been a little bit premature, the completely mm-hmm. part of completely liberated. On the 11th of December, Vladimir Putin, I uh, don't know if you've heard of him before, don't know if he's been in the news at all uh, over there, yes. Ray, but Vlad- Vladimir Putin, uh, who's the uh, Russian president, if you haven't been following along, visited a uh, Russian base in Syria where he announced that he had ordered the partial withdrawal of Russian forces that had been deployed to Syria. Aww. So it's all out, going home, done a mission accomplished, done our job, kicked ISIS's ass. But then it started to heat up again. Yeah. Now, people might recall that uh, there are... A number of forces in Syria are opposing the uh, Syrian army, um, mm-hmm. led by President Bashar al-Assad. You you have the uh, the rebels who supposedly uh, made up of uh, former members of the the Syrian army that decided, you know what, fuck this shit, we're going to rise up and try and uh, uh, support the people, kick out Bashar al-Assad. Then, uh, not long after that, uh, it would appear that ISIS, a.k.a. ISIL, uh, and Al-Qaeda and and, and other uh, jihadi groups entered into Syria and saw this as an Mm. opportunity for them to take advantage of the weakened state. Then... Uh, a lot of other regional and global actors seem to have got involved. Everyone from the Saudis, the Iranians, the Israelis, the French, the Turkish, the Russians, the Americans. Uh, am I leaving anyone out? The British, uh, <laughs> the French. I think I said the French twice. Uh, so everyone started uh, 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 deciding this is their opportunity to get a little bit of the uh, Syrian pie. Um, and as we explained on the show, the reasons for wanting a bit of the Syrian empire are quite complicated, complex. We're not going to go into it again. They don't have a lot of oil, Syria, mm-hmm. which is the usual reason for wanting to get a piece of the pie of a country in the Middle East. Um, but they're, they're kind of like Israel uh, in, in some ways. Um, it's a strategic part right. of the uh, Middle East for everybody. Um you know, from the Russian perspective, 
Syria is one of their only remaining allies in the region, mm-hmm. uh, and they see it as an opportunity to build pipelines uh, for, for exporting their petroleum products, etc. Um, and it's just good to have somebody friendly down there. If if they lose Syria, then and the US yeah. installs a pro-US government, and their Russia's lost pretty much all access to the Middle East. They've got Iran, but they can't even get to Iran and everything will be blocked off. There'll be no fly zones and no no, right. no bases and they'll be, be in a tough situation. Um, from the American perspective, um, you know, they Syria's not very friendly to Israel. They are friendly with Iran. So the US would love to uh, uh, get rid of the uh, al-Assads and, and replace them with a pro-US government uh, so they just shore up that region. At least in theory, uh, the counter argument of that is the U.S. loves it when they're all fighting each other in the Middle East uh, because that keeps them busy. Um, it's like uh, when I give my four-year-old fake jobs to do around the yard to, 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 to move, the, move the pile of leaves from one side of the yard to the other side of the yard. Very important job. And then when he's done that, he's, well, now I go, well, actually, you need to put them back now to the other side of the yard. Change my mind. It's just to keep him busy. Wear him out a little bit so he doesn't break shit yeah. in the house. That's basically after you. the U- yeah. U.S.'s uh, foreign policy in the Middle East is exactly the same as England's has been in Europe for 300 years, is yeah. just keeping busy fighting each other so they don't realise that we're uh, yeah. taking all the shit, taking everything. Yeah. Um, so then uh, uh, on the 10th of February uh, earlier this year, 2018, the Syrian air defence shot down an Israeli fighter jet, an F-16. Ooh. That had uh, crossed over into Syria, according to Israel. Accidentally, accidentally crossed over. No, no, they said they were targeting Iranian targets near Damascus. So um, now, keep in mind that there's a big difference between Russia's involvement in Syria and Israel's involvement, or the United States' involvement, or Turkish involvement. (laughs) Russia was invited in by the president of Syria, Bashar al-Assad, please come in, give us a hand. Um, Israel, not so much. Um, The US, not so much. So uh, some countries are actually waging war uh, against Syria and or Iran, Syria's allies. Um, Iran invited in as well, obviously. So Israel technically saying, no, no, we're not involved. No, nothing going on. And then a jet got shot down um, on the Syrian side of the border. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we did do that. Yeah. 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 But 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 we were we were targeting Iranian, uh, you know, Hezbollah uh, trained troops, uh, which we don't like. So that's okay. Really? No. Yeah. Um, But anyway. But couldn't you easily. And then also in February. Mm, I'm sorry, just real quick. I mean, you make the distinction, and you are correct to do so, that some countries have been invited in by the legitimate government. But it it gets murky very quickly when it's a civil war, 
hundreds of thousands of civilians are dying in the civil war. And, and so, and then everybody around them has got to look out for their interests. And, and don't get me wrong. I completely understand what you're saying by some countries have been invited in and some haven't, but at some point it's all about it very quickly um, de evolves to everybody's got to look out for themselves because this place is a mess. And if we can take out some weapons as they're moving through this country or their training or whatever, um, we're, we're, I, I can easily see Israel and or Turkey, um, you know, doing that just because they're trying to take care of themselves. So the whole thing is a clusterfuck. It's been that way for seven years. And, and, and very quickly, I guess the normal rules don't apply. Well, except these are the situations where this is why we have rules. Um, mm-hmm. So say the rules don't apply negates the cult fucking concept of rules. Uh, we have rules. Right for who can who can get involved in these sorts of conflicts and under what circumstances, what conditions? Um, properly, uh, 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 the U.S. and Israel uh, and some other nations, Saudis, should be prosecuted um, in the international court for just fucking bombing or invading countries um, like this. They should be they should be punished by either the UN Security Council, um, and that's not going to happen because the right. US has a, a vote as a permanent member, or they should be punished by the International Criminal Court. And that's not going to happen because, as you know, we will, we'll see if we have time in this episode, the what? US has, again, recently told the International Criminal Court that it can go fuck itself. So, um, <laughs> but no, you can't just... You can't, according to international law, you can't just fucking arbitrarily bomb countries and go, well, right. we just wanted, you know, we, we, we don't like that. And so we just bomb them. You can't, you can't do that. Yeah. It's in, in no, a probes, I, I, in a probes I, right. No, I agree that it's, it's, it's like times saying you're going to, you need, it's you like saying you walk up to women and grab them by the pussy. Right. It's just not okay. It doesn't matter how you justify, oh, right. it's just locker room talk. No, right. it does. It's not okay. So, okay. um, so in Feb, also in February this year, uh, the British Ministry of Defence accidentally revealed, Oops. it would appear, right. that the British uh, had been firing thermobaric missiles into Syria. Wow. Technically, uh, officially, British had been saying, "No, no, we're not doing, Uh-oh. we're not, That's we're crazy. not doing that. No, missiles that we're sending in are just uh, reconnaissance." Um, uh, and maybe, you know, we, we, we only shoot missiles that have food packages on them, you know. Um, you, yes, they blow up, um, and the food inside them doesn't survive that, but really we're just trying to send food and, and medical supplies yeah. with it. Yeah. We're taking pictures. Yeah. Um, but then uh, somebody issued a Freedom of Information request, uh, some journalism outfit, and uh, said, well, what, what, what missiles are you using? Uh, over there, and uh, they accidentally, it would appear, somebody <coughs> told them that they were using the AGM 114N4, uh, one of the Hellfire missiles. You're an American, Ray. How much do you know about Hellfire missiles? Apart from the fact that Barry and Stan came up with the name for it, it's the greatest fucking <laughs> name for a missile ever. Yeah, I know that Hellfire missiles are conceived from pages of the Old Testament. Uh, no, I, um, no. Before this, I wasn't sure. I just it's like, what's the difference between one bomb and another? But uh, like you were saying, um, these missiles use a metal augmented charge warhead that contains thermo thermobaric explosions. Um, 
filled using aluminum with explosive mixture. So what all that means is when the warhead detonates, the aluminum mixture inside is dispersed and burns rapidly. There's a sustained high pressure explosion, which is extremely damaging. And all you have to do is be near it. It doesn't have to hit you, but it's going to damage your body. It's going to damage the internal organs. There might not be a mark on you, but it can kill you just the same. But it pretty much, I think what like sucks all the air out of, out of a, the location where it hits, but these things are so, I, I don't, I, and again, you're going to have to help me with this. The difference between one deadly bomb and another deadly bomb and how you kill someone is okay. And how you, you kill somebody with this particular bomb is not okay. But these types of bombs have been condemned by the human rights groups. And again, we found out almost by accident that Britain has been using these in Syria. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, no, well, some um, ways of killing people are, are determined to be uh, more uh, brutal mm-hmm. than other ways of killing people. It's like uh, you know, why chemical warfare is uh, considered to be inappropriate, right. um, as are thermobaric weapons. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically, you're right. They, they create this massive fireball using alu- a- aluminum, aluminium, aluminium, as we say sorry. in the English english-speaking world creates a massive vacuum sucks all of the oxygen uh out from around it and yeah people basically just um i don't know they they implode um uh so there was a big actual debate in england for a while um about whether or not british troops could legally use thermobaric weapons without Mm -hmm. breaking international law and very cleverly, they uh, pulled a line out of uh, Yes Minister what? when um, they redefined the weapon as yeah. an enhanced blast missile. Oh. No, 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 no. It's not an explosive. It's, an enhan- it's like enhanced interrogation right. Right. isn't torture. Yes, torture is illegal. Absolutely. No question about it. We're not arguing that. But what we're yeah. doing isn't torture. It's enhanced interrogation. It's one... You caught me banging your wife. I said, yes, look, that would be wrong if I was banging your wife. But what I'm doing isn't banging. This is an enhanced massage is all it is, right? Uh, it's an enhanced massage, and that makes it okay. If yeah. you use the word enhanced, all, yeah, all, okay. everyone, every lawyer knows this. This is, this is right. the first thing you learn in law school. If you just put the word enhanced in front of something, all of a sudden, it's absolutely legally and morally okay. Right. That's insane. You go to you they go to, yeah. you die. You go to the pearly gate. Saint Peter's looking at the little clipboard that he has. I wonder if he's mm-hmm. upgraded that to an iPad yet. Anyway, he goes. Sure, yeah. uh, oh, I see you murdered some people. No, 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 no. You got that. Sorry, Saint. Look, all due respect, Saint Peter. Um, not not the times have changed. I didn't kill them. That was. Enhanced love. Um, look it up. St. Augustine, uh, early 5th century. If you kill somebody, but you do it because you love them and you just want them to get to heaven quicker, uh, that's not actual murder. That's enhanced Christian love. Um, and then he's, he's got to let you in. It's in the fucking Bible. He has to let you in. If you, yeah. yeah. I, I think what the, was scary... Scared for me was that as far as these particular types of bombs, I think they used uh, like 92 bombs in the first three months of 2018, as I think as much as they 
news in the last 18 months. So here they are, deny, 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 deny. I think they accidentally let this out um, through a, a very general information request. And now it turns out they have been doing this the entire time. But again, their, their thing was, look, we are just taking surveillance photos. We're gathering intelligence. Yes, sometimes bombs are attached to them. And yes, sometimes we use them. But they're not these hellfire bombs. And it turns out that they are. Mm. Can't trust anybody. Then in March of this year, 2018, the Turkish army crossed over into Syria to assist the Turkish-backed Free Syrian Army, uh, the right. TFSA. Um, if you've ever been through an American airport, you know them. They they stop you and check your bags. So that's yeah. the TSA. I don't know if there's yeah. much difference between Roughly the TSA and the TFSA. Yeah, yeah pretty same much attitude. the same. This is to fight the Kurds. We talked in the show about how the Kurds were fighting their own independence movement in conjunction with the Syrian civil war. They're up typically in the northern regions of Syria. They're sort of a religious slash ethno minority up there, been pretty poorly treated by everyone from... Uh, uh, the, 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 well, everyone. Basically, the Muslims don't like yeah. him. Saddam Hussein didn't like him. The French didn't like him. No one really likes him. No one can really understand them because their religion is a mixture of bits and pieces of Christianity and Islam and Scientology and, um, you know, just, you know, a, a, a Coltrane worship. Um, did, did you know there's a church in the United States of John Coltrane? Seriously, there's, there's a John, there, yeah, they, they worship John Coltrane, and fucking fair enough, as far as I'm concerned, the man was a god. Um, so yeah, the Turks crossed over uh, into Syria to fight the Kurds because the Turks don't like the Kurds either. Um, and then in April, there was another sarin gas attack in the Douma region of Ghouta. This time, 70 people killed, 500 mm. injured. Syria was condemned for it again. As usual, they protested their innocence. No, it wasn't me, Governor. No. Security Council did nothing because Russia used their veto. Um, but And then right. the Syrians took Douma not long after that, which ended the five-year siege of Jeez. Ghouta, which saw several yeah. sarin gas attacks. Um and again, no one really knows. I mean, everyone, apart from the Russians, point the fingers at uh, the Syrians. We went through uh, these, these stories in detail last time. Um, there's there's right. arguments for and against. Um, uh, yeah, it's hard to really work out why they would use it. I mean, using bombs like this don't really help. Uh, the Syrian army mostly kills civilians. Um, maybe creates a little bit of panic, um, creates a lot of international condemnation, which results mm -hmm. in nothing, really. Although, we, we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Then on the 14th right. of April uh, this year, the United States, the United Kingdom and France launched missile strikes on multiple government targets in Syria as a response mm. to this sarin gas attack in Douma. And it changed it, the war completely. No, did nothing. No. I mean, as as you know, it, it's just a well. You know, we said there's a red line. Obama said there's a red line, and then he moved the red line, and then he said what red line? There's no red line. I never yeah. said a red line. Then they played back. He said a red line. He goes, oh well, I didn't mean That's you know, a pink I was issue. metaphorically red line. Trump, um, you know, looks tries to look tough. Uh, gives him a chance to press the button. He doesn't get to press the button much. He likes pressing the button. 
Um, they won't let him press the button on North Korea. Uh, no. They won't let him press the button on uh, uh, Australia. He tried. Um, so he, you know, he takes the opportunity when he gets it. In May, the US got involved again. Okay, they said, look, we're going to send troops back in to finish off ISIL. Syria said, no one asked you. They said, oh, we're doing it anyway. And then in July, the Syrians announced that they'd finished taking back all of southern Syria, including the province of Daraa, which is where Mm -hmm. the uprising first began. Do you remember the story of how it began um, some teenagers spray painting on a wall. Yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Kids spray painting on the wall. All. Kids got arrested, got tortured. People went, oh, yeah, that's yeah. not fucking right. Local right. governor of the region said, shut the fuck up. People went, oh, don't you talk yeah. to me like that. And uh, yeah. it spiraled out of control. So that brings us up to date. Now, what's going on at the moment is the final assault on the Idlib province you uh, mm-hmm. mentioned early on. Um, it's the last rebel stronghold in Syria, they say. Although yeah. a year ago, they said ISIL was completely kicked out of Syria. Apparently, it, we're saying that again. It's a bit like <laughs> KISS having their uh, you know retirement tour every couple of years is the way I see this. This is ISIL's retirement tour of Syria. Right. That's it. We're all done. We're all yeah. finished. Maybe it's 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 like uh, their fourth encore. Look, we're all done. We're not. We've got to go. Really, the venue's shutting down. They're closing down. Yeah. Seriously, if we if this is our last song, the police will be here, and I don't mean Sting. I mean the real police. Uh, the stings tomorrow night. Yeah, and right. then they come back. They do it. They do another 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 encore. <laughs> Um, all right, we'll do rock and roll all night and party every day. But that's it. we got to go. We're what? 75. Yeah. And um, our nurses are waiting for us in in the hospital van out the back. Now, um, Idlib province is in sort of northwestern Syria, close to Aleppo, close to the border of Turkey, close to Alakia. Um, there are about 3 million civilians in the region. And... Um, this is a big problem. Why is this a big problem, Ray? Well, I mean, there's 3 million people. There's, uh, what, 70,000 rebels still there. They want to go to Turkey. They're uh, causing tension between Turkey and Syria. But Turkey's already taken in 3 million people. And they're like, look, we can't handle it anymore. So what Turkey is doing is they're taking their troops and putting it on their border, even closer to the Syrian troops. And so when you have that kind of proximity, not only when the Russian, because I think the Russians have already had like 80 air raids recently trying to get ready for this. So when the Russians and the Syrians come and wipe all these people out, and they will, they're going to be that much closer to the uh, to the Turkish troops. And so not only are you going to have a humanitarian crisis, but you also have the potential of a regional war that could quickly get out of hand. So this entire thing is insane. But when the final, like, I don't know, what do, you, what do you call it? The United Nations is supposed to be the final arbiter. And when that completely is corrupt or it doesn't work or it's being manipulated from the inside by everybody, there are no rules. There's no empire, uh, umpire. And you can do whatever you want. And the whole thing could potentially get way out of hand even more very quickly. Mm. Well, yeah, as I understand it, the the, the big problem with um, mm-hmm. this, this assault on Idlib 
is that the the people it's sort of been the the place where people have been going i mean people have been driven out right. of their homes through fighting across syria a lot of them have ended up in idlib um there's nowhere left to run now so yeah, you've got massive attacks bombing this idlib being like crushed and if you you, you know, everyone has seen footage of what happens when um these wars go on there like it's just destroyed, right? There's uh, just yeah. it's rubble, um, and they've got uh, nowhere left to run. So the the fear is that this could be a huge humanitarian crisis. I mean, millions of people have already been kicked out of Syria, run out of Syria, um, but now there's nowhere left to go. Um, and also, this is a a, a a Christian town. Apparently, a lot of Christians in mm. Idlib, uh, Christians and and Alawites, um, Alawi, um, up there as well. Not that that really changes the fact that it's going to be devastating. But um, right. So that's going on at the moment. There's already been 30-odd thousand people uh, displaced in Idlib, according to the UN, as a result of uh, the bombing that's already been happening wow. there. Um, and it's become a dumping ground for not just civilians who have been run out of different parts of Syria, but also the the obviously the, the remaining hardcore jihadists who the ones that weren't prepared to settle for some of the forced agreements that have taken place or the forced surrenders that have taken place in other parts, uh, the ones that have survived, the ones that have rejected the settlements uh, are there. So you've got the, the, the hardest of the hardcore surviving jihadis. You've got a whole bunch of right. civilians who have come there from other places. They've got nothing already, yeah. and now they're going to have to you know, f- go through this. Um, on one side, you've got the, the Syrian regime and the Russian uh, uh, air force bombing the fuck out of you. On the other hand, you've got jihad- the most hardcore of the hardcore jihadis, fundamentalist right. jihadis, who are killing people who they think might uh, betray them or do a deal with the Russians or the Syrians. Then you've got the the Turkish border. As you said, they've got their own army there, not going to let people get across. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the worst kind of piggy in the middle. Yeah. 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 Um, And uh, the US have said that if the Syrian regime uses chemical weapons in Idlib, then the US and the UK and the France and the France and France are going to attack yeah. in a in a big way as well. Now that's um, the way the US is positioned it. The Syrian news agency Sana reported it this way. After Syrian President Bashar Assad refused to listen to the US and stop the elimination of the pro-American terrorists in Idlib the Western coalition is preparing their attacks on Syria. Their activity is being restrained only by the Russian fleet in the Mediterranean area. Aside from the fleets of Russia, US, UK, France, Germany and Italy, there are also warships of Israel, Greece and Egypt currently present in the Mediterranean. That's a hell of a... I mean, that's that's a lot of people right next to each other and they all have weapons and no one trusts anybody. I mean, that's just... That's a potential for a... A new world war i don't know a middle eastern war i mean this is just crazy this is crazy and this is getting out of hand and it's about to come to a head mm. if you want to watch something chilling check out a video uh, that we'll have in the show notes of um anas al diab who was uh, 20 who is a 22 year old citizen journalist uh, and a rescuer works with the white helmets 
He uh, was in Idlib, uh, a rush to film the aftermath of a bombing there. Uh, but there's another bombing as he's running. He gets hit and keeps yeah. his camera running. His legs get uh, hit quite badly. Uh, and he keeps the camera running through the whole thing. He's on the ground. There's rubble, there's smoke. Um, uh, he does get rescued himself, uh, taken to hospital. He's okay. But, uh, you know, you want to know what it's like to be in the middle of a fucking war zone, uh, check out this footage. It's uh, not very long, a few minutes, but it's uh, terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I just going back to the, the final stronghold, I just imagine for Assad, I mean, this has got to be, this is going to feel pretty good for him. I mean, he's like you said, he's got the extreme jihadists there. He's got the last organized rebels there. Um, I mean, he's going to be able to wipe them out. And of course, in order to do a very thorough job, because he wants to do a thorough job, who wouldn't, I'm sure tens of thousands, if not more of, um, civilians innocents are going to have to die but again i mean why would he not press hard on this and that stuff that you see in those videos and i sure i looked at that one video you sent me and that was just freaking hard to watch but just picture that times fifty thousand. i mean this is this is going to be horrendous and these people have nowhere to go and no one's able to do anything about it and this has been going on for like what seven years i mean the whole thing just i don't know it, it, it's just so overwhelming and that's just watching videos. I'm certainly not living through it, but that video really, really shook me up. Yeah. But I mean, that's terrifying, but it's, you know, what's more terrifying is that, um, Apple came out with their new iPhone this week and it's still <sighs> got the notch race. So <laughs> Jesus. that's real. It's all suffering. relative. Right. Right. Mm. I understand the current, the current estimate of people uh, killed in Syria is still sort of around the half a million mark, um, but those numbers are a few years old. The UN basically stopped counting casualties in 2016. Yeah. Um, they ran out. Of, they ran out of numbers. Um, yeah. At the UN, they just said, "Well, we've used all of our numbers up. We we only get allocated a certain amount of numbers, and we're done. So we have to stop yeah. counting." Um, the numbers uh, at that point were 7,600,000 internally displaced and over 5,116,097 and refugees. Mm-hmm. But uh, all of those numbers are a few years old. Now, the World Bank estimates that about 60% of Syrians left inside the country now live in extreme poverty this is compared with about 12% in 2007. Mm-hmm. Now, the stories that I'm going to be watching from now on, assuming that this is all over soon, uh, will be the stories around reconstruction. Who benefits right. Right. from the destruction of Syria? The Syrian yeah. government has calculated that it's going to cost around 195 billion US dollars to rebuild the country but the World Bank reckons it's going to be at least 250 billion which would be four times Syria's GDP back in 2010 before all of this nastiness uh, broke out. Right. Now China, Russia and Iran seem to be the main parties involved in reconstruction talks. And, of course, it looks like Assad's not going anywhere. He's won this civil war. Um, mm-hmm. But 
the US and the EU and their allies uh, aren't standing for it. Um, they're, they're saying they won't participate in any reconstruction while Assad is still in place. They've already got sanctions in place. The US has had sanctions against uh, Syria, even going back before the civil war, back to, I think, early 2011 or 2010. The EU Mm -hmm. put sanctions into place early in 2011. Um, So basically, there's a a ban in the US and the EU of any form of trade, essentially, with Syria. Can't give them money, can't loan them money, can't buy oil from them. Uh, can't sell them anything, can't buy anything from them. And any company that does that can't trade with the US or the EU. And any or any country that does that gets into trouble and, and you know, those people will find themselves getting their assets frozen and mm-hmm. travel bans and all that kind of stuff as well. So the, the only countries that, that uh, are able to have sort of reconstruction talks with Syria at the moment are those that don't give a fuck about the US sanctions like China, Russia, and Iran. Right. Yeah, I mean, how would would the United States even think that they could be any part of the reconstruction? I mean, that makes no sense to me. And plus, uh, Syria doesn't need them when you have those three other powerful countries. So uh, now the thing is, obviously, where is the money going to come from? That's a uh, discussion for later. But yeah, these three countries are about to benefit greatly from the suffering of the Syrian people. Well, yeah. I mean, I, look, I think the it's going to be interesting. I'm sure there's going to be um, a lot, a lot of debate about this uh, in the US. I mean, I, I think the US is the country that can af- most afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, the strongest economy, in some ways, depending on how you want to slice right. it and dice it. Um, uh, the Saudis, maybe, um, the, the Chinese, maybe. The Chinese have already offered, I think, like a loan of $23, 24000000000 billion, which is 10% of the 250 that the World Bank is saying that they're going to need. Um, but the, the US are probably going to try and hold out um, until they get what they want, which, as I said before, is Assad to step down and then a pro-US, pro-Israel, anti-Iran government in place. But like other long-term economic sanctions, like, say, Cuba, this is basically collective punishment of the Syrian civilians. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, well, we're not going to do anything until Assad's gone. Okay, but then you've got millions and millions of people that are starving, yeah. no power, no water, no opportunity to for work, years. to earn money. Yeah, for years. People are going to die Mm -hmm. because you you are holding out and you want to replace Assad with somebody who's more to your liking, Um, your own dictator, a friendly dictator. Yeah, we're coming up on a decade, and how are these people supposed to get rid of him when they have no means? And here we are. I don't know if we're we're sitting on our ideals or whatever, but the point is a decade's about to come up. These people are dying, and we're holding on to the same position we had early on i mean you've got to you've got to respond to the reality on the ground and not just some lofty notions and on the other hand i imagine you're going to have a, you're going to have a ton of american companies wanting to get in oh, on the yeah. reconstruction oh, yeah. action a lot of money to be had in reconstructing countries mm-hmm. um, and a reminder for people of how this works 
if you haven't listened to our Cold War series, where um, we did three hours on the economics of war, and they're free, by the way. So if you want to listen to us wax on about this, uh, wax on, wax off, go to acoldwar.com. Look at our free episodes. I think it was episodes like four, five, and six or something like that. We talked about the economics of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, might have been 10. I don't know. It was in the early part of it anyway. But this is how this is how uh, it works. And, and I'm, I'm going to use America as an example, not because it's the only place that this goes on, just because it's the easiest to, to talk about. Um, so this is how Reconstruction works in, in a post-war scenario. The government decides to to provide financial aid or a loan from the US mm-hmm. government to the country in question so in this case Syria right where does the US government get its money from well it gets it from the taxpayers the people vast majority of revenue income that the government has comes from taxes people people's money so they then give that money either as aid or as a loan to Syria uh, but it usually comes with conditions. Uh, and the conditions are usually, well, you spend it on American companies. <laughs> so effectively, the money goes from the taxpayer to the U.S. Treasury, from the U.S. Treasury to Syria, and then straight back to American companies. In fact, it usually doesn't leave the country. It just goes into a holding account and it says to Syria, which American companies should we give this to? And yeah. they go, uh, these ones? Right, okay. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm guessing in most cases that even that step doesn't happen. It's like these are the companies we're going to give it to. Give them the contract, okay? Um, or and sometimes it's directly, sometimes it's indirectly. Indirectly, it might be okay. They're going to buy. We're going to we're going to buy stuff from Israel. Where did mm. Israel get it from? Well, they got it from America. But you know, so there's it's like there's Israeli or French or Saudi or whatever fronts. Uh, uh, for America. So it's not easy. It's like the mafia dealing through front or the CIA doing through front companies, right? There's, right. A, there's a bit of a, a trail there that you would have to go through to figure out where it's coming from originally. So the money goes from the taxpayers to the US government's treasury, then basically straight out to American corporations who pay their executives huge bonuses. Uh, and this is how the transfer of wealth from the people to the corporations happens. Why war is great. It's why um, American companies, and it's not just uh, the the people who make Hellfire missiles and uh, bullets that profit out of war. It's the people that uh, support the U.S. bases and the troops. Everything from clothing to shoes to computers to food to condoms, medication. You name it, everything needs to yeah. needs to be funded by the government, which means taking money from the people's bank accounts and giving it to these companies in the name of war. And then in Reconstruction, there's another bite of the cherry. Oh, well, listen, you know, we need to be good global citizens now and rebuild this country that we just helped flatten. Yes. Um, let's take more money out of uh, the U.S. Treasury and give it to these corporations. Um, so that's how that works. Watch for that. Um, so there's going to be, I think, this tension in the US between um, uh, do we wait uh, to, to make this cash grab 
or to, until we can install somebody, or do we just? Because I mean, th- there's no fucking way they're getting rid of Assad. Assad's going right. to be doing okay, right. and Assad obviously, you know, doesn't. I, I don't think he really is going to lose much sleep at night if if his uh, population are starving in the streets um, at this juncture. He's yeah. probably used to it by now. It's been going on for seven years. Well, I, I guess the other thing is that, and he's probably in the end, long run not going to care who he gets the money from to rebuild. But the point is, at some point in America, uh, the the greed for money is going to be is going to outweigh our ideals, and we're going to go from let's get rid of this guy to okay, well he's not going anywhere. We've got to help these people. We're going to make it look good. So let's go ahead and loan the money. So the 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 inability to miss an opportunity is going to win out over helping this guy. Um, or at least support him financially by by giving this massive loan. So again, the, the American corporations will come around. Washington will find some way to make it happen, and America will get its part of the pie. And um, all all these large corporations will just make that much more money. That's the game. That's the way it's always been played. That would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, speaking of sanctions, uh, just a week or so ago, YouTube suspended the accounts of at least three uh, Syrian government YouTube channels. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, because, uh, you know, you don't want them uh, providing counter um, propaganda to the official US propaganda. Um, so there you go. So. Um, Makes it harder to, to get an alternative version of what's going on over there as well. Anyway, so that, uh, to whomever you were who asked us for a Syria update, there's your Syria update. Um, <laughs> thank you. I did try and f- remember who it was. I went back through Facebook Messenger and emails last night. Too many mm. fucking messages. Um, couldn't find it. Oh, by the way, our Life of Caesar site's been playing silly buggers for the last few days since I had to move it to a new server because the other server was getting killed. Uh, and uh, our feeds are all fucked up, so I've been dealing with that. I apologise to everyone who's had their Caesar feed. A lot of dumb fuckery going on there. I am trying to fix it. <laughs> well, it is fixed, but Apple's not, ref- Apple's not reflecting right. the fact that it's fixed. So, uh, Oy. yeah. Anywho, a couple of other stories before we go on. We, we, we can't go on. Uh, we can't finish the day without talking about Trump. Um, yeah. But uh, well, let's let's start with um, uh, uh, Manafort's plea deal. So that's the big Trump news, right. obviously. In the last few days, uh, Paul Manafort uh, has done a deal. Apparently, yeah. I thought with, it was uh, I thought it was Mueller. interesting that I thought he was going to stay tough until the end. But like you were saying on whatever last show we just recorded, I think it was the bullshit filter. Giuliani and uh, Robert Mueller have known each other for decades, and someone described Mueller as an animal and in a in a, a complimental com- complimentary way as far as what he's able to pursue as a lawyer. So I think uh, Manafort was just holding out, holding out, waiting for um, a pardon or whatever. But the point is, I think Mueller just went um, Old Testament on his ass. Showed him he was going to be, end up doing decades in the jail, taking all of his money, and this guy finally broke. And this is the one guy we really needed to hopefully find out what happened in the Trump Tower meeting. So this this could be huge. How much do you know about the life and times of Paul Manafort? 
If it, what, give me the potted history of what you know about I, what he's been up to for the last 40, 50 years. From, from what I know, I only know two basic facts. One, he's been dealing with various Russian, I guess, oligarchs for decades. But what, I, what he gets most credit for in America is, is pretty much starting up um, or, or taking it to a whole new level, the whole um, special interest lobbying uh, on K Street in uh, in Washington. So uh, supposedly he uh, saw an opportunity, saw something that wasn't being done, or the way he wanted to do it wasn't being done, and he just took he took lobbying to a whole new level, took it international, skirted the laws from day one, and made a shit ton of money. But also um, either made enemies or uh, made a lot of powerful friends. And so he's he's um, known a lot of Russians over the years, but I think all of that is coming to haunt him. But basically just, just that he took lobbying to 11. But that is really all I know about him. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Like, um, I, I'm interested in the coverage of Manafort. Um, whenever... Mm-hmm. See, talked about in the media, he usually talks about his involvement in places like the Ukraine, uh, his involvement with various African uh, dictators, getting them elected. But you go back and and he sort of started with the um, Nixon and Ford administrations, and then he gets credit for getting Reagan elected. Reagan's whole Southern strategy. um, Right. Basically, it was Manafort's idea, and he ran with that. So Manafort has been uh, sort of Republican chief straight. I think he ran the GOP conventions uh, for a number of times, I think for Bob Dole, for Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy is sort of uh, Republican blue blood. The reason that Trump got him in to help him with his campaign in the first place is because Manafort's the guy. I actually read a story uh, published uh, early in 2016 when Trump had just appointed Manafort, talking about Manafort's background um, and, uh, you know, how he's sort of the smartest fucking motherfucker in in the GOP strategy camp. (laughs) Manafort, Roger Stone, and Lee Atwater, and another guy who I can't recall had uh, you know like a, a consulting firm in Washington, strat- strategy consulting firm for a, a long time. And Manafort, apparently the guy, very low um, profile, liked to keep himself low profile, as opposed to guys like Roger Stone who uh, like to mm-hmm. keep their name in the media. Splash. Manafort was always quiet, liked to be behind the scenes, pulling the strings. Guy's been around a long time, and uh, his roots in American politics goes back decades, very, very deep roots. I'm sure he has dirt on a million American politicians uh, and people if they really want to unpick this hairball here. Uh, the, the Gordian knot, Manafort's going to know where lots of bodies are buried going back over right. decades. Um, and then, of course, yeah, he did get involved in sharpening up the image of dictators uh, uh, in different parts of the world. He'd go in and give them a haircut, put them in a suit, give them some speaking points, right. make them look Looking more nice. like... 
yeah, make him look more like an American and uh, politician and less like a, a thug. Um, and so he's done that uh, for years, and and his connections with Trump are quite deep as well. But anyway, so the story is for those that haven't heard, because uh, I know a lot of people have given up on trying to pay attention to this, but. Um, only a couple of weeks ago, Trump was praising Manafort for not flipping uh, and, and doing a Which deal with Mueller. Yeah, Trump said it should be illegal. <laughs> it's a what a great what what a great thing for a president to say. Cooperating <laughs> with a prosecutor should be illegal. Uh, telling the truth should be illegal, said Trump. What a dipshit. Um, but uh, now Manafort's uh, done a deal. So, um, yeah, for, and, and as you say, he was one of the people who was in the meeting in Trump Tower with Don Jr. and um, Ivanka's husband uh, when the Russians came Jared. in to tell him. Apparently they had information on, yeah, Jared, information on uh, Hillary. So anyway, we'll see what comes out of that. Meanwhile, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about with Trump is uh, more about his ties to Russian mafia. Mm-hmm. Did you read up on this new book that Craig Unger's coming out with, House of Trump, House of Putin? Oh, my God. Yes, it looks insane. I can't wait. Well, why don't you tell everybody a bit about it? I'll shut up for a minute. Well, basically, this guy, I guess he's just decided to finally sit down and do the legwork. And, and that's pretty uh, that's pretty commendable. But uh, and I'll start this off with the way the guy starts off um, the book because it's pretty fascinating. On November November 9th, 2016, a few minutes after Donald Trump was elected president of the United States, a man named Wacheslav, I'm sure I've said that wrong, Nikolov, approached a microphone in the Russian state Duma, their equivalent of the United uh, United States House of Representatives. And he said something rather unusual. He said, dear friends, respected colleagues, three minutes ago, Hillary Clinton admitted her defeat in U.S. presidential elections. And a second ago, Trump started his speech as an elected president of the United States of America. And I congratulate you on this. This is how this guy, Craig Unger, starts out his book. Basically, his book, House of Trump, House of Putin, he's tried to go back as far as he can, get all the paper he can, talk to people, and try to show Trump's connection with the Russian mafia going back for decades. Some things he, he can back up. Some things he says it's it's pretty much open and obvious that that's out there. Some of it's just uh, speculation. But he does make a, a compelling case, and I am looking forward to reading this book. And who is Vyacheslav Nikonov? Oh, he is related to um, put some uh, flammable liquid into a bottle, stick a cloth in there, light it, and throw it. Molotov, the Molotov cocktail. He's the grandson, I believe. (laughs) Of the Molotov cocktail. Molotov, uh, Stalin's foreign minister. We've talked about him many, many times on our Cold War show. Yeah, this guy is his grandson. Um, Yeah, so it it certainly sounds from that that uh, they were happy about Trump's election. And fair enough, that doesn't mean that there was a conspiracy, just that they thought uh, Trump would be a better uh, 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 president for them than Hillary. Uh, right. But yeah, basically, Craig Unger, um, who's got a long history, he's a journalist who's got a long history of writing uh, uh, sort of uh, 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 
books that uh, explore uh, the connections between American presidents and uh, um, uh, other actors. I think he's he did a book on mm-hmm. the Bushes and the, and the uh, Bin Laden family, the Saudis. Um, ah. He's done this book on um, the connection between Trump, Putin, and Trump and the Mafia. And uh, he, uh, you know, basically says that Trump has been connected to the Russian Mafia for 30 or 40 years. Now, uh, just at a very high level, from what I, uh, the, the, the excerpts from the book I, I was able to get my hands on and interviews with Craig Gunger, he, let, me, let me sort of break down what he's suggesting. First of all, he says that it's important to understand that the Russian mafia is different from the American mafia. The Russian mafia effectively works for the KGB. We've talked about this before when we were talking about uh, 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 Megalayevich, uh, the guy who's supposedly the boss of bosses of uh, the uh, Russian mafia. And I'm not quite sure if the mafia works for the KGB or the KGB works for the mafia uh, what the relationship is, but they're apparently intimately connected. And of course, Vladimir Putin is mm-hmm. ex-KGB. So it would seem like, uh, if you imagine if the mafia managed to, in America, uh, uh, take over the CIA and, and uh, take o- and, and get their guy, one of their guys elected president, which they may have in fact done, uh, that's basically what you've got in Russia and have had for 20-odd years. Um, so essentially, the mafia is a state actor. Um, the, the author interviewed General Oleg Kalugin, who is the former head of counterintelligence in the KGB. He used to be Vladimir Putin's boss at one point. And he said, <laughs> you're talking about the Russian mafia. He said, oh, yeah, it's part of the KGB. It's part of the Russian government. Mm. So anyway, according to this guy, for 30 years, Trump's been working for the Russian mafia, profiting from the Russian mafia. They rescued him. They bailed him out when he was $4 billion in debt. And he couldn't wow. borrow money from anywhere else. Uh, they came to his rescue. This means that Trump has been in bed with the Kremlin and the Russian mafia, whether he knew it or not. And and the author says various points. I don't know if Trump even knows about how deep he's in with him, but he's in deep with him. Whether or not he's aware <laughs> of it or not is uh, another issue. Um, But this guy claims that the Russian mafia have been using Trump-branded real estate to launder money for over 30 years. He uh, says the very first first episode, it was back in 1984, when a guy called David Bugatin, who was a Russian mobster, convicted gasoline bootlegger, close ally of Semyon Miguelovich, um, met with Trump in Trump Tower right after it opened. He right. wanted to spend $6 million on Trump real estate, $6 million in 1984, which would be about $15 million today, and he bought five condos from Trump wow. at the meeting. Now, the condos that he bought were later seized by the U.S. government <laughs> who claimed that they were being used to launder money for the Russian oh. mob. Now Unger says this is the first, first of tip-off. Unger says this is the first of 1300 transactions similar to that involving Trump organizations and Russian mobsters. 
That's insane. So yeah, so even if he didn't know at first, he should have figured it out somewhere along the way of those 1,300 transactions. But again, the Russians did have other people, but still, Trump should have figured it out. But from what we, from what this book can gather, the writer is that Trump maybe didn't mind because uh, he got paid pretty good by the the. Yeah, the profits with the Russians were, were better than he'd get from other banks, and he could borrow from them when he couldn't borrow from banks. So it was a win-win for both sides if you ignore the law. And this guy claims that uh, Trump was just one of hundreds of assets that uh, the KGB and the Russian mafia uh, were developing in the United States over the last few decades, um, which makes sense, right? That's that's the way these agencies mm-hmm. work. Americans and the CIA work exactly the same way. You know, they're always trying to develop assets, uh, people that they have some sort of connection with or control over in uh, foreign nations where they want to have mm-hmm. more political influence. Um, again, according to this General Kalugin guy, the former head of the KGB uh, counterintelligence operations in Russia, uh, they said America was a paradise for Russian spies. They had recruited roughly 300 assets in the United States, and Trump was just one of those that they've been wow. developing for a long time. Um you know, so one of the ways that they may have done this is use Trump to launder money and then reveal to him that they've been using him to launder money. Right. And then it's a case of, well, you've committed huge crimes. Uh, if we tell the authorities you're going to jail for decades, uh, like Paul Manafort, so uh, do <laughs> now you do these things for us, right? Yeah. You, yeah. You, set, you set a trap for these guys. Now, we've talked about Bayrock before when we've been talking about Trump and Russian mafia connections. Bayrock is this real estate development company that saved his ass um, back in the early 2000s when he was broke. Um, yeah. they, they, they have an office that's located on the 24th floor of Trump Tower. Founder was a guy called uh, Tevik Arif. And the mm-hmm. managing director was Felix Satter, Sater, Satter, S-A-T-E-R. Uh, Arif was a Soviet-born Turkish real estate developer. Um, he got himself into a lot of trouble, uh, got charged in 2010 with running a prostitution ring, accused of human trafficking wow uh, and was arrested on the uh, on the yacht MV Savarona um, the charges were eventually dropped I think he uh, bought his way out of that <laughs> um, supposedly he lives in Turkey now managed to, you know he's managed to uh, disappear and get himself into a cozy situation nice. um, Felix Satar. Satter, we've talked about before. You know, he's got himself into all sorts of trouble in the United States. He was the managing director. Um, where is he now? Uh, he uh, was convicted uh, of his links to organized crime in the United States. Um, convicted of, uh, let's see, uh, uh, well, hmm. His, his records were sealed for 10 years by Loretta Lynch. Uh, 
Can so be I don't really know. The, yeah. He did stab a guy in the face with a stem of a cocktail glass. Oh. Um, but yeah, that. he's... Yeah. He's the guy who apparently sent an email uh, before the election of Trump saying, I will get Putin uh, on this program and we will get Donald elected. If he says it, we own this election. Um, so Damn. anyway, uh, uh, um, as I mentioned in an earlier show, talking about Seder, he was born Felix Mikhailovich Shefarovsky. Um uh, so, yeah, he, he's got deep Russian connections. And I think he had connections with the Russian mafia in the United States that was connected to Simon Miguelovich. They used to meet. I think his father was a, like a, a, a capo in America. Um, they used to meet in, in the uh, bar that Michael Cohen's uncle <laughs> used to run. That's right. In, uh, oh, God in the Bronx or Brooklyn or somewhere like that. Um, anyway, the connections go deep. So in 2005, Bayrock, the company that Felix Sater ran for Tefik Arif, uh, partnered with Trump to help him develop a new business model. So Trump was $4 billion in debt at the time after his casinos in Atlantic City went bankrupt. He couldn't get loans from anywhere in the West. Bayrock comes in and basically says, listen, you don't have to raise any money. You don't have to do any real estate development. We just want to use your name. We'll yeah. raise the money. We'll build the buildings. We'll give you 18 to 25% royalties, and we'll effectively do all of the work. And then if the yeah. Trump organization wants to get involved in the management of the buildings, you'll get extra fees for that. So it was a very lucrative deal for Trump and Bayrock, Seder in particular, were operating out of Trump Tower, and Seder was constantly flying back and forth to Russia at the time. Um, so there's deep connections between Trump, <laughs> Trump organization, Russia. This is why Mueller's now got the CFO of the Trump organization to flip as well. So, man, this is fucking this is one of the greatest stories of all time. I, I can't wait to see how this plays out. I'm still not convinced of collusion, but I am convinced that Trump has been laundering Russian mafia money for decades, and I just can't wait to see how this plays out. You still there, Ray? Ray. Well, I lost Ray to the storm there, so let me just uh, do the last story by myself. He said to say goodbye to you all. Um, I mentioned early on in the serious stuff about the International Criminal Court and how America told it recently to go fuck itself. So National Security Advisor John Bolton, you may remember him if you're old enough to remember the George W. Bush administration. Bolton is this uh, crazy looking motherfucker. He's kind of got uh, big, big, big bushy well, big bushy everything, really. Bushy eyebrows, bushy mustache. Uh, looks like Albert Einstein got a haircut, rough, uh, so, something like that. Um, he he was a big deal in the uh, Bush administration. He was the ambassador to the United Nations, under Secretary of State for arms control before that. He's been around since the, uh, well, the Reagan years, really. He was involved in Reagan's administration. He's back, and um, he's currently the uh, national security advisor under Trump. 
Uh, he recently gave a speech where he called the International Criminal Court antithetical to our nation's values and claimed that the Trump administration would take in aggressive steps, including sanctioning and prosecuting the court's judges to ensure the U.S. doesn't provide the International Criminal Court with any form of legitimacy. So what the fuck? Well, um, first of all, you need to understand uh, what the International Criminal Court is. So it's been around about 20 years. It was created in 1998 by something called the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. It was adopted by the United Nations General Assembly with a vote of 120 to 7 with 21 countries abstaining. The countries that abstained were China, Iraq, Israel, Libya, Qatar, Yemen, and rounding out a nice even seven, the United States. Now, uh, the US has something called the American Service Members Protection Act, or the ASPA, The ASPA actually authorizes, believe it or not, the President of the United States to, and this is a quote, use all means necessary and appropriate to bring about the release of any U.S. or allied personnel being detained or imprisoned by, on behalf of, or at the request of the International Criminal Court. Sometimes it's known as the Hague Invasion Act. The ICC is based at The Hague, and basically uh, the U.S. has a law in place that says if any American is being held in the International Criminal Court, the U.S. can basically go and invade it. Uh, Invade, (laughs) invade, fuck, can't even say that, invade The Hague in Geneva and uh, take back their people. Now, the ICC was set up by the United Nations, which, by the way, was set up by the United States. By it was the it was the vision of FDR Franklin Delano Roosevelt. If you uh, aren't familiar with the the setup of the United Nations, it was his idea during World War Two. The ICC was set up to prosecute individuals for international crimes, things like genocide, crimes against humanity, and war crimes, where the national judicial system, where those people are citizens. Um, were were unwilling or unable to prosecute those criminals or where the United Nations Security Council uh, referred situations to the court. So, for example, you might get a dictator in a third world country, let's say an, an African state or, or Middle Eastern state. Think of, well, a real one is uh, Gaddafi. Gaddafi was prosecuted by the um, ICC for his involvement in various uh, crimes. So obviously he's the dictator, president of his own country. His own country's legal system isn't going to prosecute him because he controls it. So instead he was prosecuted by the International Criminal Court. The United States have no problem with that. But if uh, the uh, an American is being put on trial by the ICC, whether it's a soldier or the commander-in-chief or a general, uh, the US is like, fuck no, you're not allowed to prosecute uh, Americans. 
So it's a very strange situation, you know, the, the this this country, the United States, which claims to be the uh, the standard bearer of democracy and freedom and rule of law, basically denies the international community's ability to uh, charge or try American soldiers, citizens, uh, and, and obviously politicians and uh, uh, generals and commanders and this sort of stuff, and have literally said they will invade the Hague if they have to and prosecute the judges of the International Criminal Court if they try and uh, point the finger at the United States. Now, uh, one of the reasons why Bolton is going on about this at the moment is uh, November of 2017, the International Criminal Court said that they wanted to investigate American soldiers and intelligence personnel for committing war crimes in Afghanistan. And the Americans are like, fuck no, you can't uh, you can't investigate Americans. They go, okay, well, you investigate them. No, we're not going to do it. So we will do it. No, you, you can't do it either. Um, basically, America is off the table when it comes to investigating war crimes, even by the International Criminal Court. So ponder on that, if you will. That's all for the show this week. Thanks for listening. On behalf of Ray and myself, check out our other podcasts. Go to thepodcastnetwork.com if you want to see a full list of our shows. Uh, And if you like this show and you think it's a good listen, talk about it. Plug it on Facebook. Plug it on Reddit. Plug it on Twitter. Plug it, plug it, plug it. That's what the priest said to the altar boy. We'll be back next week.